Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Backenders, bringing you all the ins and the outs from this great game of tennis. We cover each tennis slam, and we are unafraid to slam tennis. So, good day to you all, I say. Jolly good. Feeling very regal here in our mid-Wimbledon episode here at the the All England Club. My name is Lightning, and with me a man whose albino-like skin means whenever he goes bathing, people think he's dressed in Wimbledon whites. Catters, old sir, how are you on this traditional Sunday rest day? How are you spending it, my friend? <laughs> Lightning, great to hear you sounding as posh as ever, and I feel the same way on this Super Sunday, as I regrettably dubbed it many years ago. Um, I went a little bit early on it, Lightning, to be fair. There's actually nothing happening, but it is a Super <laughs> Sunday for us wealthy and elite. A time for us to just sit back and park the, the Rolls Royce in the garage and put the super yacht in the thing where you... <laughs> place your super yacht. I don't know what that's called, but I definitely do have a yacht. Um, And just take stock. And in my case, appreciate the fact that my stocks have risen 18% over the last year. So it's been a good Sunday for me. Um, And a good time to also think a little bit about tennis. Of course, we saw a lot of wealthy people. We saw royalty hitting the courts and they were shocked by what they saw. It was uncouth to see some of the top seeds removed from the tournament, I believe due to background checks, which saw that their extended family were not as wealthy as we once thought. They somehow, (laughs) the likes of Tsitsipas and Osaka had managed to jump the moat around the All England Club and uh, attempt to claim a piece of silverware that they were never never entitled to through their own lineage. Yeah, it's a great call, Cutters. None of them had royal blood and therefore found themselves on the day one scrap heap. Add to that Zvarev, who you've been trying to tell us for five episodes consecutively were worth pooing down. Well, he has been thrown outside that moat into the sewers of London because Zvarev, Tsitsipas, Asaka, all out on day one. Incredible. Asaka became the first top two seed to lose in the first round since Martina Hingis lost 18 years ago in 2001. I was surprised Hingis was allowed into that tournament, Catters. But we entered this tournament, Catters, hearing that Barty had drawn, if this was soccer, she would have drawn the pool of death. Barty was on course to play all these Grand Slam champions and by, again, a couple of days into the tournament, pending further background checks, we saw the likes of Sharapova, Muguruza, Kuznetsova and Stoza, all Grand Slam winners, all in Barty's draw, had all been packed up, put in a horse-drawn cart and sent to some small villa to serve as uh, maids and, uh, you know, to, to peasant families. So incredible scenes. It's a beautiful celebration of simpler times, Dickensian times, where those that didn't have the money to buy the silverware should never even attempt to reach for it. And I think it's a great thing. And uh, I, for one, am happy that a colonial commoner like Barty has slipped through the, (laughs) the background checks and somehow been allowed to humour the wealthy on centre court. <laughs> when allowed on centre court, 
Barty, of course, came into the tournament as world number one. Fantastic. Up have gone the, the statues left, right and centre around each city in, in Australia. But there was one person who they neglected to tell had become the world's number one player, Serena, uh, after she... Uh, arrived in the fourth car in her motor cage. She jumped out, a microphone was thrust in her hand, and they said, what do you think about Aussie Ash becoming the world number one player? Serena had no idea in the sport in which she's won over 20 grand slams that Barty was the number one player in the world, had become the number one player. To be fair, she actually doesn't actually know any of the names of any of the women on tour, so... Um, not even her sister. So it's not probably not surprising, but a, a classic start to Wimbledon. In fact, she was asked why she hasn't been in lead-up tournaments in the lead-up to Wimbledon. She's only played, I think, 12 matches this year. And in answer to the question, why have you not played these lead-up tournaments, she looked at the reporter and said, I know how to play tennis. It's brilliant. Brilliant. And she said that whilst holding a sack full of all her Grand Slam trophies. So, yeah. That reporter actually turned to stone um, and will be <laughs> unveiled later in the tournament uh, in the press box as a, as a reminder, don't mess with the likes of Queen Serena. <laughs> a cautionary tale, if you will. <laughs> well, Cutter, so much has been happening throughout the Open. We're only one weekend. We're halfway there, but I'm keen to pull it apart and find out what you've been most excited about. So, Cutters, let's go and come on. I've got nothing in my head. I'm just really excited and I want to hug the whole stadium. So, Catters, a buffet of stuff has happened in this first week of this people's tournament. What's grabbed you? Lightning. I'm excited because for a long time I've felt that there's just too much kind of kumbaya in the world of tennis. And um, I don't know what to put that down to. Has it just been, you know, the suave diplomacy of the likes of Rafa and Novak and Roger? Or is it the fact that society has become, you know, more tolerant of fun-loving gingers like Ed Sheeran or (laughs) Prince Harry? (laughs) I won't have it. Not on my watch. (laughs) Tennis should be modern warfare. Nation against nation, privileged, wealthy athlete against privileged, wealthy athlete. (laughs) And... This was just a great reminder of what I've been looking for. Kyrgios and Rafa, they gave us a glimpse into the new world, and I like it, Lightning. I like it. Mm. Insults on and off the court, trying to tag your opponent at the net, blasting forehands, trying to you know physically tattoo your opponent with the ball, <laughs> setting fire to your opponent's childhood home. Whatever. Nothing should be <laughs> off limits. You know, I was having a drink with a mate last night and I said we were doing the episode today. And and of course, he said, you know, long-term fan of the podcast, uh, no surprises (laughs) there. And he said, well, will you be mentioning Kyrgios and Nadal? And I said, I didn't even know you were a tennis fan. And he said, I'm not. And that, you should have seen the smile on my face because this is what people are talking about. A guy like Kyrgios, he extends out. He is Global news, it put it on the front page again. It's a second round match, and this is the needle that I've been missing. So that gets me excited. And let's not just restrict that to the men's game. So I was watching a women's doubles match on one of the smaller courts. Okay, look, I'm not proud of that. I don't usually say that publicly, (laughs) but I'd finished my daily routine of hunting Pokemon in one of the major gardens downtown (laughs) and was bored, quite frankly. And Ostapenko, 
yours and mine favorite. We love her. She mm. was playing against Alicia Cornet. Do you remember, do you know Alicia Cornet? Oh, we haven't yeah. mentioned her in the podcast before, but Corny Corny Cornet, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Corny Cornet. Um, it's this is not good for a podcast land, but Google her if you get the chance. She has a posh, a very posh nose, like an upturned nose. She looks arrogant. I'm not going to lie. She looks extremely arrogant. So Ostapenko, I can only think was doing a public service by trying to smash it back into place. <laughs> Attempt one was at the net where she tagged. I mean, she missed Cornet's nose, tagged her in the right chest. And then a couple of games later, Ostapenko was serving. Cornet was on the non-returning side. So if you can imagine that visually, she's a good seven or eight meters to the right of the receiving player. Yes, yes. And Ostapenko just serves the ball directly at her head, (laughs) nails her, (laughs) fulfilling a childhood dream of 95% of the tennis-loving public. (laughs) And... Cornet just got pegged, and all that Cornet could say in her wonderful French accent was just, I get hit, they get point, how is this fair? How is this fair? (laughs) I thought I was watching the sequel to Amelie. It was both cute and disturbing at the same time. And um, these are the personalities that we want coming out on court and belting each other up in the public forum. This is what you've been calling for, Catters. I mean, the nose, ironically, the one that actually, that upturned nose was the one that got her into Wimbledon in the first place. <laughs> but to see that squarely put back in its place, you're right, Catters. We, we haven't had the personalities that we've prided ourselves on as a sport that's brought colour to the game, that's brought us through the turnstiles. So you're dead right. You must have been loving every second. The only thought could be that in Ostapenko's defence, does playing against Cornet remind her of France and the French Open and her own record there? And she just gets some sort of <laughs> yes. Vietnam-style flashbacks, sees a commie over the net and just has to fire at will. I'm not so sure. Well, I'm not. I'm similar to you, Catters. For me, my come-on moment, the thing is not so much I'm excited for. It, it's a career I've been excited for. For me, Marcus Bagdadis bowed out mm. from Wimbledon this week in straight sets. He's just been a man that's just brought so much joy to, to many of us that have watched this game. And so it's a sad farewell. For those who got to see it, and it's worth the YouTube, amazing scenes uh, as he lost his game, kissed the hallowed turf, made his way to the net, pretty much pashed his opponent at the net, um, grabbed the bloke's cheeks like his nuna would have growing up. And, and of course, we will all remember him for the smashing of four rackets in 25 seconds at Australia's own Open here in Melbourne. And he, he bowed out in only the way Baghdadders could, ripping off every item of clothing, breaking open his bag, turfing every bit of merchandise he could into the stands and leaving with not a shred left on his body. So it was just a fantastic sight. I didn't realise how trim he's kept late into his career until I got to see the scene. So that'll be a great poster for the wall. I look forward to, to that image coming out. But Baghdadis, I mean, what a character. So a sad sight to see him go, but geez, we enjoyed the show. So thank you, Marcus. I believe they um, 
have a plate smashing ceremony <laughs> uh, lined up for you after, and that'll be uh, yeah a, a great way to commemorate the great man. I hope that plate smashing ceremony is therapeutic for the Cypriots because their future of the Davis Cup does not look good. <laughs> I was thinking about this because Baghdadis, he's been a champion, but he's never had another tennis player to, I mean, play with for the Davis Cup. I mean, it's pretty unfortunate. He comes from a nation of 850,000 people. He probably grew up sparring with a wall. He's actually pitched to have that wall brought on court with him. <laughs> on the Davis Cup. So I really feel for Baghdadis. I, I did some research to see whether anyone's coming through in Cyprus. And uh, unfortunately, that is not the case. They are famous for having skeet shooters. They've had three since the late 1800s, mind you. So it's not a great sporting history they have there. And you have to worry when on their... Uh, Wikipedia page listed as one of their few sports stars is Andrew Demetrio, former CEO of the Australian Football League. <laughs> I think if you're a fat businessman in administration, you don't qualify as a national sporting star. There should be dispensation for Cyprus because it's a nation that's close to all of our hearts, 850,000 people. Uh, they get naked in public. I like that. <laughs> They're willing to kiss the turf post-match just after it's been sprayed with pesticides. Good luck at reproducing at some point in the future, Marcus. The pash rash that he had, I thought was from his opponent, but it was actually just the burning from the turf. I was also a little bit confused because seeing a shirtless Marcus Baghdadis, I actually thought I was seeing a miniature court 14 on his chest. I think that's actually the grass they'll be playing on this time next year. <laughs> well, it gives him something to do in the second week of Wimbledon. He actually just lies on his back and does some reading whilst Andy Murray hits up on his chest. <laughs> I'll give you the racket and we'll no, see, how many no. see how many times you can return yourself also. Okay, you're, you're a professional tennis player. I'm not. Okay. Cutters, it's time for Fed Up and Poo Down. We need to see in this Wimbledon 2019 who has just been grabbing this tournament by the scruff of the neck, who have been the up-and-comers, and who has let us down, who are disappointing in the vein of our Mark the Poo Philippusis. So, for this Fed Up and Poo Down episode, for me, Fed Up this year, it's an absolute gimme. This is a golf ball sitting teetering on the edge of that cup just to tap in Coco Goff 15 years old and is now into the fourth round of Wimbledon I mean that is just amazing she's the youngest qualifier of the post 1968 open era in her first round match she played a 39 year old Venus Williams and as was reported on other podcasts, we almost had a 40-15 tennis match. 40-year-old almost to a 15-year-old and knocked her off in a game in which she had only 10 unforced errors. So staggering statistic. Venus, who is a five-time Wimbledon champion, she had won two of her five Wimbledon crowns before Coco was even born. So last week she had passed a science exam and this week... She'd passed Venus Williams, so unbelievable. So she then went on and won a second-round match, a third-round match for a girl who is as old as the ball kids that surround the court. This is just one of the stories. This will be a moment of where were you when this great career began. Katas, what did you make of Coco? Uh 
pretty overrated, to be honest. I mean, I think she's <laughs> she's young. That's that's a positive. I must admit, when I was at fifteen, and I felt like I could beat anybody, there's the youthful arrogance, and that's what she's coasting on at the moment. So I wish her all the best. Uh, let's face it, Venus at this stage is not going to win bingo at her local RSL, um, which I think she's possibly even aged out qualification for now. Yeah, I mean, people jump on the bandwagon with a younger athlete and that's exciting. I worry, you know, does she want to do something else with her life? Because we've had, you know, problems in the past with psychopathic parents, but her parents seem pretty grounded. Having said that, I don't know, the news was broken only just recently that she actually won't be competing in the round of 16, which is shattering. But her mum was very clear that if you don't clean your room, you'll not be playing any of the world's top 16 tennis players. <laughs> very well said. So, you know. I mean, rules are rules. Yeah. And she seems very down to earth, though, very grounded. What did she say about her prize money? There was a quote there. Oh, it was classic. She came away with, you know, upwards of, you know, 100 and, 160 grand. She's now cleared in, in US dollars. And she was asked, well, how are you going to spend it? And, of course, young Coco said, well, well, I can't drive, so I'm not going to buy a car. So um, I think I'll just buy some hoodies. So I don't know how many hoodies, Catters, you can fetch for 160 grand, but uh, you know she's going to be pretty warm in that bloody cold English summer over there. Well, there's two ways of looking at that. One is, yes, it's cute. She wants to buy some hoodies. The dark side is that her parents, after taking their cut of the prize money, have left her <laughs> enough to buy a couple of sweet hoodies. So... <laughs> <laughs> classic it has been hilarious watching her though this 15 year old who is as tall as venus is just this, this monster of a player with huge serves and assets and you just keep waiting for her to be a 15 year old for me i i don't mean to toot my own horn but i do remember at 15 taking on an opponent at the french open before waking up and realising I'd just had a terrible nightmare. So that's a, a memory I'd prefer to leave behind. Yeah, and I think you then consoled yourself by tooting your own horn, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> what else is a 15-year-old to do, Caddis? I just think bullying the elderly is not cool at any time. <laughs> it's a lack of respect for your elders. I hear what you're saying, Catters. It's like mugging an old lady in a dark alley. Of her silverware. <laughs> I again just have to come back to the cultural differences. Like in Denmark, if you're 15 and you're quite good at tennis, people would just be like, that's great. That's great. Now, maybe go out into the forest for six months, find yourself, start finger painting. Just don't take anything too seriously. You're young. Tennis is not going anywhere. Whereas with Coco, it's like, you're the next Beyonce of the tennis world. You can be president. Wouldn't be surprised if Oprah jets over there and tries to adopt her in the next seven days. I mean, it's just fair game in the American popular culture. So Lightning, that's a great story uh, in terms of success. Mm. But uh, do you have a poo down for us? Well, this is just as much of a gimme, Catters, to be honest, because you may have heard of this bloke. His name is Bernard Tomic. Surely his career will be finished on account of this. His first round one match against Wilfred Songer was over in 58 minutes. 58 minutes. Curios lost a set to Thompson where he was deliberately trying to lose the match. And he lost that in 18 minutes. 
Tomic had to do this three times over. This bloke was an absolute witch's hat for 58 minutes. He wasted 58 minutes. He scuffed up little parts of the grass that we can never get back in a wasted game of tennis and was subsequently fined by Wimbledon 100% of his round one earnings. So the 80 grand he was going to stand to pocket from losing in round one was taken from him. So essentially, he comes to Wimbledon and he walks away with a breakfast bar bill, <laughs> Tomic. So Tomic, the tank engine, is at it again. It's, apparently, he's going to leave with a couple of towels, some travel shampoos. It, it, essentially, he has used Wimbledon as his chance to just... Uh, he just used it as a London hotel, essentially. He's taken a stroll around the lawns. He's used the change of ends like a bench in the park. He has not bothered packing a racket. He's just stood there like one of the statues you see in the heart of London's greenery and uh, wasted all of our times. So, Bernard Tomic, you were my poo down. Kat, is, I'm keen to see for you. You're fed up. You're poo down. Who grabbed you this tournament? Well, my fed up is melancholic at best due to the fact that I feel like I must admit as a pro podcaster, self-professed pro podcaster, that I've been derelict in my duty, Lightning. Right. How could it be that we have a, a female player who is 15 in the world, who made it through to the third round, was defeated yesterday in a gripping third set by the name of King Wang, and I have not brought that to the listener's attention. <laughs> you and I love a pun as much as the next man. And the fact that we've had King Wang in our presence all this time, and I have not had that as my fed up week on week, as consistently as Zverev is pooing down, the King Wang shall riseth, which is also the name of my upcoming porn film. <laughs> so I'm hearing that... Um on the basis of the name alone, you've selected your up-and-comer uh, in women's tennis scatters. She is uh, 15th seed from China. Actually, on a personal note, uh, I had to see the doctor the other day about my unseated King Wang. <laughs> but, but I also, to give her the benefit of the doubt, I thought King Wang... Okay, King Wang is not flattering, so maybe it's the classic Chinese switcheroo, but I'll let you do that in your head. Yes. It doesn't come off any better for her. <laughs> Just a, a moment for the listeners to do the maths on that one. My poo down is uh, a fellow colonial commoner, if you like, in, in light of us outcasts from the British Empire trying to storm back and take what's rightfully ours. Kevin Anderson of South Africa has disappointed me in ways that I just mm. would never have anticipated. He came in as the fourth seed in this tournament, and yeah. rightly so. His previous Wimbledon was epic. I, I, for those of you that will remember, last year in the quarterfinal, he took out one Roger Federer, 13-11 in the final set, mm. and proceeded in the semi-final to beat John Isner from America 26-24 in the fifth set, thus prompting Wimbledon to change the rules and to shorten the final set and have a cap. Yeah. There was a reason to be uh, excited about his run into the Wimbledon finals, and I thought that he would have gone a lot further, and he just dumped out in straight sets overnight and was an incredible disappointment. <laughs> Love it. 
I didn't understand a word you're saying, but it was, it's not important. In this week's wildcard segment, a segment in which we find something a little left of centre that just uh, adds a bit of colour to what's been happening off the court. Ash Barty, we all know about her exploits on the court. What we haven't been paying close enough attention to, Catters, is the attention to detail this girl pays in even her press conferences. So uh, a reporter in Australia has become aware that she has not only been slicing and dicing on the court, she's actually been sneaking in subversive Disney messaging to her niece back home in all of her press conferences. So in press conference number one, she was reported to have said, we came into it thinking Hakuna Matata, of course, a Lion King reference. She then, in her next round interview, said, I chat to my niece over and over. She tells me, you can go to infinity and beyond. Sure, Toy Story reference. We got that. That's a couple. Then round three goes that little bit more arty when she says, I think for me, sometimes I look at a shot, I play a shot. I think the seaweed is always greener in someone else's lake. A very obscure line from Sebastian the Crab in The Little Mermaid. So we'd been totally unaware the levels to which this girl prepares and plays. How's that, Catters? It's brilliant. And I think that it also just speaks to the fact that she's pretty bored by the matchups she's been copying in the early rounds. (laughs) She has enough time to watch reruns of Disney and figure out ways to provide Inception-like Easter eggs in her own uh, post-match press conferences. (laughs) I love it. I think after she took out uh, the English player Dart in 6161, absolutely pantsed her. I think she had time for a couple of darts, actually, after the game. She had that much extra time in her hands. So it's no better way to celebrate. Well deserved. Yes, indeed. I was thinking about that, actually, Lightning, in that uh, it's good that she's sticking thick with her cousin back home and giving a shout-out in coded message. But Mm. it's probably a good thing that she doesn't have an older cousin who's part of a street gang in L.A. or Chicago. Uh, Otherwise, you'd probably hear something a little more like this. I beat uh, Dart today, and uh, the chair umpire I thought was a little unjust in their treatment of me. Uh, It reminds me of NWA's F*** the Police. Uh, I just thought at the change of ends, I sat there and I thought... Well, won't you tell everybody what the f*** you got to say? F*** the police coming straight from the underground. A young n***a got it bad because I'm brown and not the other colours. So police think they have authority to kill a minority. F*** that shit because I ain't the one for a punk mother with a badge and a gun. Um, but yeah, I guess my back end's uh, slowly improving and uh, just mixing it up from the baseline. Mother <laughs> now time for mixed troubles of course we know about all the fighting that's happening on court but often there's as much happening off it catters in this week's mixed troubles who else must we focus on other than the familiar williams sisters what's been happening at table williams well lightning what does hashtag sir murray say to you that is what's trending and uh, across the globe at the moment and that is the result of sir andy murray choosing one serena williams as his mixed doubles partner for this tournament. I must admit, I thought I'd intercepted some sort of transmission from his robotic hip 
telling me that he'd chosen Venus. And that is the last time I will spy on one Sir Andy Murray whilst microwaving a pizza because there was some sort of fuzzy interference. But Venus, I mean this in the least condescending way possible. This is a great opportunity. When life hands you a lemon, you make lemonade. This is a great opportunity to go back to square one, focus yourself and continue making a golf range of fashion <laughs> apparel. Kat, as you referred to earlier, the epic matchup of Curios Nadal, which was phenomenal. And we have to go back a match, though, prior to that, because Curios started not with Nadal. His niggle started with a mate of his who he grew up with from age eight, Jordan Thompson, who he played in the first round. And we put this out through our Instagram account. I was recorded as saying, having just watched this match, that this is the weirdest thing I've seen and I've made babies. I <laughs> could not tell you how crazy that match was. I mean, on honestly, honestly, for those who didn't see it, he was... He was unnecessarily diving at things. He was making Eddie Murphy-like sound effects. Twice, Kat, as he did this charge to the net and jumped in the air and volleyed through his legs, fully unnecessary. He was dancing behind the baseline as Thompson's going to serve. I've seen nothing like it. Wasn't he moonwalking at some stage? Like, <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. I didn't get the chance to watch it live because I was uh, at work at the time, but I was following the scores just on a little box score in the corner on a browser. And it was like, as I could only imagine, charting the stock market in the famous 1930s crash. <laughs> it was up and down like a yo-yo. I actually don't know whether that was the match statistics or some sort of uh, brain scanner that they'd attached to Curios before going on court. Honestly, it was... It was impossible to describe. He was every character you have ever imagined. It was like watching a pantomime where the single actor comes on stage, changes costume, and then comes back on as a different role. You know, he's his villain, his protagonist, his joker. He's the maiden in distress who needs to be re rescued. And very occasionally he comes onto court as a tennis player, but very occasionally. But he won and in doing so allowed himself an opportunity to go to the pub for another night prior to his next match. He was seen at the Dog and Fox. Which I believe is named after his two Tinder profiles. <laughs> and his two personalities, actually. Oh, that's right, so, yes. And of course, he was there till all hours. He apparently didn't get home till close to midnight, the night before taking on one of the world's greatest ever players in Rafael Nadal. And for those who didn't hear, it was just such a hilarious story. Then in his press conference... Uh, after the Nadal match, the second question in the room happens to come from one of the chicks he was hitting on at the pub, <laughs> who was one of the reporters who he didn't know was a reporter. And then he goes all kind of 15-year-old schoolboy embarrassed and says, oh, this is awkward. It was just some hilarious viewing. And that's the moment where you just, no matter how much angst you feel towards him, you can't hate the guy because he does have the million dollar smile and the glint in his eye and he's so cheeky. You know, even just that brilliance of saying to the reporter, yeah, I tried to hit 
Rafa. I tried to tag him at the net. I was aiming for his chest. Yeah. But he said, let's put this in perspective. Rafa's got plenty of money in the bank, plenty of Grand Slam <laughs> titles. I think he can handle a ball to the chest, which I think is brilliant logic. I mean, the Nadal match was something off the charts. It was just one for the ages. It really did live up to the hype. And that's the brilliant thing about it is, you know, there's one thing to be the clown, but can you come out and actually light it up on court? There's not many people who can penetrate the top three who can actually walk out on court and believe they belong there and can beat them. And Nick is probably the fourth at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have modern day rivalries aside from those big three. And this this could become it. Connors v. McEnroe, Agassi v. Sampras, Venus v. Serena, uh, Curios versus any umpire who has ever officiated, <laughs> ever. I mean, this this could become the next great rivalry. So, And we're not the only ones that have been seduced by his charm. I noticed that Eugenie Bouchard was seen in Curios's uh, box during the, the Rafa match. What do you make of that? The, the only thing I can say to that is, and look, I'm, I'm forecasting a little bit down the track here, but if those two hook up and they have kids... All I can say is do not bother saving for a college fund because they <laughs> they might not apply themselves and they might have the attention span of a Kyrgios Bouchard hybrid. I don't even know what other analogy I could use. <laughs> Those two could have the largest trophy cabinet, the largest empty trophy cabinet of potential Grand Slam silverware that yet never materialised. It would be one rip-roaring Instagram account, though. Bouchard, Nick Curios. That's true. We think Jem's life is good. That's two semi-boring tennis players. Curios and Bouchard, you know, would be out burning cars, stripping in public, just... Having sex on bikes, and that would be a Tuesday night. (laughs) I would put nothing past the two of them combined. So, Cutters, we need to check in. We threw out some bold predictions pre-tournament. How are we looking halfway through? Yeah, I'm pretty happy with my predictions. I mean, obviously, I went for the, the safety of the two greatest players, arguably, to have ever played the sport, and... Spoiler alert, they're doing all right. (laughs) Serena looks pretty comfortable at the moment. She's playing herself into form. It feels with each round, she's gaining a bit more momentum and uh, she's going to be hard to beat. Although potential Barty matchup in the quarterfinal, which I think could decide who takes home the title. On the men's side, Roger Federer looks pretty comfortable at the moment. But to, to be fair, he's played a bunch of chumps. So when he comes up against someone decent, it might be uh, another story. And if we go to my Smokey, well, that was Petra Kvitova, who told us all at the start of the tournament that she had a massive injury and was only playing Wimbledon because she liked playing on grass and, you know, it had a special place in her heart. And she's proceeded to pants everyone she's come up against so far. So she's looking pretty solid as well. Jeez. Catford, you are just churning it out. So... Well, by contrast, uh, I picked Osaka, the, uh, <laughs> one of the earliest exiters from the tournament, so great job there, Cutler. I uh, chose Djokovic, so I'm looking a little bit safer there. Of course, we await. He uh, is doing similar to Federer. 
It's going reasonably well, yet to be tested, but on course for a potential Nadal or Federer showdown in a final and all sorts of landmines along the way. But, Kat, as I have to confess that my Smokey was probably never really in it. When you consider the person I chose as a Smokey wasn't entered in the freaking tournament. <laughs> so I told you that going for Eva Mayoli, who retired in the late 90s, <laughs> was a ballsy move. I, um, I just thought she was due for a comeback. I, I know. I, Andrescu was my tip, who um, apparently is taking the Ivan Lendl philosophy, who chose to coach from overseas. Well, Andrescu is just taking that to a whole new level by attempting to play a tournament uh, from <laughs> overseas. So thanks to the wonders of virtual reality, she uh, chose to enter Wimbledon via teleconference. So, Excellent. Uh, yeah. Still would have put up a better showing than Dart, in my opinion. <laughs> exactly. It, who knows how it's going to go, Catters? Barty is actually still in there. We all thought she might bomb out. To win, though, she would need to become the first person to win Wimbledon, the French, and the lead-up grass tournament in 35 years. So since Navratilova in 1984. So, man, it, for her to do it, this would be massive. But, of course, you and I are both cheering her on. If Ash Barty could pull this on, she is looking incredible. That would just be a great, great story. And speaking of Ash Barty, I must uh, confess that during one of my many rants uh, the other week when I was complaining about the state of Australian women's tennis, Mike on Instagram has pointed out to me that I overlooked mm. the famous victory of Sam Stoza in the 2011 US Open, beating none other than Serena Williams in the final. Fantastic effort. Mm. Uh, of course, she never went on to win a second slam, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> So yes, find us on Instagram. We are The Backhanders. It's very easy to find. We have a lot of people following and commenting now, so it's a great little community. Get involved. If you're a keen Wimbledon fan and are part of the upper echelon there, get your butler to join and add us and uh, <laughs> instruct that they should send us a note, uh, including your bank account details, if possible. Lightning, anything else to add? <laughs> no, just to add that Facebook's another place that we interact with you, our listeners, and would encourage the interaction. Get on, throw us a question, a challenge, a critique, a segment you'd like to see or something you'd like us to chat about. We will throw the shout out back to you. And please leave a review on, on iTunes. It helps us out, get established and get further listeners on board. Otherwise, that's all from us. You will hear from us again at the end of Wimbledon when we wrap up all of week two's action and see just how good Catters' predictions have been. But that's all for us for now. Until next time, until we join you at the end of Wimbledon, the People's Tournament 2019, Wimbledon, just remember to be quiet, please. Right about now, NWA court is in full effect. Judge Dre resigning. In the case of NWA versus the police department, prosecuting attorneys all.